Thank you for downloading Cigars with Spurgeon. This will be episode six, and it is a conversation with Steve Espammer. Steve is the founder of Connect the World, a missions organization doing work in India, Indonesia, Austria, and the U.S. The notes section has links to his website and Facebook page where you can get more details about the ministry and how to donate. Steve has such an amazing testimony. We discussed it briefly, but you can hear the whole thing on his church's YouTube channel. And as always, the link is in the notes section. I didn't know all the details about how God rescued him from drug addiction and suicidal behavior when I first asked him to talk with me. All I knew is that Steve was the pastor of the children's ministry at Christ Community Church in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, where he was instrumental in my early spiritual formation. He also spoke some very kind words to me during a later period of doubt and deconstruction that helped soften my heart. If you're a children's minister, a parent, a missionary, or if you're engaged in discipleship with a new Christian of any age, I hope that this conversation with one of my earliest spiritual mentors encourages and refreshes you. Well, now what, you just hit a magic button. Where is this your, your, the rest of your house? This is, yeah, my background photo is um, Spurgeon Library over my shoulder here. Let's see if I can, there we go, get out of the way. A little I see more. it. Oh yeah, I see that it. That is yeah. the pulpit that Charles Spurgeon stood at. It's in Kansas City at Midwestern Baptist. City? Yeah, Mi so, yeah, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary housed, uh, so they, they had what used to be their chapel. Um, this became the Spurgeon, um, the Spurgeon Library. They bought from another college in the Midwest. They bought Spurgeon's personal collection of books. Something like four to 5,000 books were sent over sometime after he died and were bought by, and they were just sitting in a warehouse collecting dust. And so Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary purchased them and they house them at this archive now and they have that that pulpit as well so it's very nice i i haven't been there i really want to go there um now that wow. things are starting to open back up i i think can you can you are the books just all in glass cases or can you actually look at one of the books or you kind of um they, they, a lot of them are in these glass cases let me see. i have another um view here that shows it from uh, a different angle so you can kind of see in the background there this is that same area, but it's from like a, a balcony. So you see kind of above and, and all along the walls there are those glass cases. Wow. Too many books and not enough time. Man, I could spend <laughs> most of my life reading. I just wish I could. <laughs> well, hold that thought because um, I actually want to come back to that. I started recording a little bit ago. I was suspicious that you might, as soon as you said you couldn't say the name of your company, I was like, ah, he's recording. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably cut all of that out anyway, but just in case, and I'll, I'll find a, hopefully find a tasteful spot to start it where it works. Let me see here. Well, you could just start it if you want. I yeah, I wanted to. I have a few more questions for you. Like, how did you get, uh, I, I mean, it's easy to understand how you became a Spurgeon fan, but how did you start, like, well, I think you did tell me about how the podcast started. Um, 
which is really brilliant. I mean, you must have a lot of fun doing that and some interesting guests. I, it, this is only this would be like I think episode six when it comes out. So this is very much on the ground right now, or just just. Yeah. So are you gonna be like doing some kind of like uh, marketing or advertising to get a, a bigger following? I I have a Twitter feed for cigars with Spurgeon that I post these things to, uh, and I'm on Facebook. I'm in several groups that are for apologists and um and and pastors and stuff and. Uh, and so I link um, to there whenever I let another episode out. Yeah, I think my estimated audience size right now is like 20. Hey, hey, you're getting there. <laughs> yeah, getting somewhere. We'll see. I, I, yeah, there's a lot I need to do. I've been looking at people's advice on things like marketing on uh should be spending like an hour to an hour and a half every day researching, um, should be actually interacting with people in the field. So there's a couple of people that I'm friends with. One is a guy named Zach Kispert. I plan on reaching out to him soon uh, if I can. He has a podcast called hearspurgeon.com and he reads through various oh, cool. I want to find out how he decides which ones to do if it's just ones that he likes a lot um, or, or what it is because I've been very blessed by that. Um, there's also a lot of um, well, because here in the Kansas City area, we have Spurgeon College at Midwestern Baptist. I, I would love to reach out to some of those kinds of people and talk to them as well. And I think my my approach to it is that I'm not an expert in theology, or um, you know, I haven't gone to any kind of seminary or Bible college. I, I just I'm interested in Spurgeon's ministry and his legacy, and and most of all, lately in the idea of of discipleship and um, you know this idea that we need to look to preachers in the past um, and to you know people like our our parents our grandparents uh, older christians elders in in the church um, and we need to be learning from them uh, the same way that we teach our children to follow christ and so that was one of my reasons i wanted to have you on i wanted to be able to take a moment and publicly thank you and acknowledge the role that you played in my early Christian development. You are uh, too kind. You, you, you must have bumped your head. I'm not sure about your memory, but thank you for saying that anyhow. I, I really do believe I was, uh, I was telling my, my daughter um, one night I was, I was telling her about you. And, and I said, you know, one, one of the best things about this man was that he treated us like we were, real Christians. We, he, he treated us like we really can pray and intercede uh, on behalf of other people, that we can pray for healing, that we can, you know, pray for our friends, that we can evangelize our friends, that we can read the Bible, that we can engage in, in the church and in Christian culture. And, you know, it's just because we're kids doesn't mean that we're not real Christians. That's right. I told her this about a week before I heard your interview at uh, at your church, uh, where I heard you say there's no mini Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> Loved that. I, I used to say that to you guys, too, or used to, at least to the children's workers. It's like, well, that makes me happy that you, you, you gleaned that, because that was, that, was that was what we wanted to communicate. Like, yeah, you're not the church of tomorrow. You're the church of today. 
you're it right now. <laughs> so, well, wow, that's incredible. Thanks, Brilla. That really means a lot to me. And I was sort of uniquely lucky um, in that I, I had you as my children's minister, and then my mom also had you as the singles minister. And uh, <laughs> that's right. I so did that for a year. Our family was doubly blessed. Oh, thank you. Now, that was fun too. I remember that. But, you know, after I ended up, um, I did love the singles ministry, but I still wasn't done with children. Uh, and I went to another church nearby that one and was their children's pastor for uh, five or six years. And as you heard some of the testimonies on that, on that show. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, you mentioned discipleship, but Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Why don't you go first? Go ahead. Well, no, you mentioned discipleship and, 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 you know, going to those uh, like the elders before you. And one of the, one of the tragedies, and I could, you'll have to correct me on this because you're a Spurgeon expert and I'm not, but a lot of those greats, to my knowledge, um, did not disciple the next generation. Now, I think that the, the Wesleys did. They had, a, they had a system down pat, you know. But, but I don't know if Charles Haddon Spurgeon discipled anybody. And I, I feel like when you, the man was phenomenal. And so many greats like that, to my knowledge, didn't disciple the next generation. And uh, I, I don't know. I could be wrong about him. I know that I, I, I won't say any names, but there were a number of others that, that never did. And that's tragic because for a lot of reasons. I think it, it possibly de depends on how you define discipleship. Um, now, he did establish, like he established a Bible school for ministers and he also put a lot of time and effort and money into recording and, and distributing his sermons, not recording, uh, writing them down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that when someone does that, it's because they intend for others to read it and sort of be discipled right. by it. Though I don't well, that's not like an individual. I was just going to say that is incredible. Um, for posterity for a lot of reasons but is that is that real discipleship it's uh, not so, mentorship that's for sure yeah so but i mean uh, uh, starting a college or starting a bible school all those things are phenomenal but is that enough is that really discipleship or is that just a classroom can you can you disciple people from the pulpit or is discipleship more like what jesus did spending three and a half years in the trenches with people. I mean, obviously he did a lot of teaching, mm -hmm. but he did a lot of modeling to them personally, a lot of one-on-one -on -one time to the, the, the 12. And then of course there was the 70 and then larger groups, but with different amounts of um, who received different amounts of attention and time. But so I, 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 when Jesus said, go out to all the world and make disciples of all nations, I think he modeled how to do it. And um, cause I see like in, in our Western, in our Western culture uh, and I'm generalizing, please, you know, I, I mean, I know there's incredible exceptions, but in general, our idea of, of, of church is, uh, is buildings and size numbers, how many got this and that. 
but if each leader would have their own 12, it doesn't have to be the number 12. I'm just using that as a, you know, as an example, if each yeah. leader had their own group that they poured into, it's a slower process, but you're, then you're, you're multiplying yourself, you know, and then if each person kind of Amway stole this from Jesus, you know, the little bubble, remember all the little bubble charts and, but you know, I, 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 I was, I was discipled when I, during, when I got saved during the Jesus movement and we did it all. I mean, it was incredible classes, a lot of teaching, but there was a tremendous amount of one-on-one -on -one time either for personal growth. Cause you know, part of discipleship is growing emotionally, you know, as well as, as, as you know, we, I don't really think you can separate spirituality from it. We're, we're spiritual beings period. But part of that is being physical. Part of that is being emotional. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but, but we were counseled, we were, we were mentored, we were shown how to do things. It would, people would spend time with us, counseling with us, helping us through problems. We did, they did the Jesus method where Jesus did and they watched and Jesus did and they helped. And then they did and Jesus helped. And then they did and somebody else watched. Do you know that, that formula okay. you ever hear? It's, it's a wonderful formula, but it's true. And um, so that, impacted my life tremendously obviously and then when i was in ministry we we pretty much did the same thing for years and years uh i wish i knew then as much as i knew now because i was i would incorporate uh, i would have incorporated a lot of other things that i you know that i couldn't at the time but anyhow i was hoping you would start and if you didn't i was going to ask you to kind of you had that that whole conversation at your church with, and yeah, uh, with Paul Martini. Yeah. Yeah. I will, I will link to that so that people can go there and, and hear the full story, which is amazing. I did not know all that when I was a kid, I didn't know the little kids. They don't know what they have. They don't, yeah. they don't know, you know, what, well, <laughs> how great they have it sometimes. And, and um, I did not know all your history. Um, would you mind going at least briefly through some of that no, no, the high points? No, not, not at all. Before I do that, that's why like 13 years ago, um, my wife and I left a very nice pastoral position where we got paid well and had benefits and vacations. And it was at a great, great, great church that everybody in the world would want to work at. But we just felt called to the mission field. And what ended up happening is I ended up, <laughs> you know, God, man proposes and God disposes. I, I ended up in, in, in Austria working with young people doing like, like the, the Jesus movement kind of discipleship, except that it was a lot of uh, bar ministry, which I hope we get to talk about. But yeah, I was, um, I'm 39, as you know, I'm 39 years old. It's a gift, a year, you're in the physics, right? So quantum, part of my experience is living in the, in the realm of quantum physics and prayer. So even though I was born in 1952, I am still 39, but growing up in the 50s was was an interesting time. But after, uh, like a lot of things shifted, I believe after JFK was assassinated, we just it was the most shocking thing in in the world because that hadn't happened for hundreds. Well, I don't know if Lincoln was the last president assassinated or not. But oh, did I lose you? No, you're still there. You're fine. Battery is dying. Hold on. Oh. So. 
Do you have to edit all these kind of comments out? I'm sorry, you're gonna have to work hard. I, I will take the uh, I, I will take the uh, audio of our conversation and put it through Audacity and and just take out mostly to myself. I want to make myself sound better. <laughs> uh, other well, people, I, I think, well, make sound me great. sound better too. Okay, don't leave me hanging out there. <laughs> you sound great. You're fine. But when I go through and, and edit myself, apparently I just I stutter a ton. I stutter a lot. Almost everything I say, I stutter. Yeah, you haven't stuttered at all since we started. It's it's weird when I'm going through it and I'm hearing. I also use a lot of filler. Um, uh, yeah, so things like that. And okay, well, anyhow, it just takes a lot of raised in the fifties um, from uh, in a, in an Italian family. So if you were in New Jersey, an Italian, ninety nine point nine percent chance you were raised Catholic. And I'm not at all criticizing the Catholic Church. It's just my experience with being raised in in it in a home that my dad didn't. He was an atheist at the time. I did lead him to Christ when he was 95 or 96 years old. By the way, that's beautiful. So, yeah, it was a great, really, it's amazing. But so you know, I didn't really know about. Uh, I had. I'm thankful for having been raised Catholic, though, because at least. We learn the basics, you know, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was raised from the dead. He's coming again. I mean, that would, we got that, that uh, training. But, you know, after Kennedy was assassinated and then the Beatles came out and we were a whole generation of kids because um, our parents went through the Great Depression. Our parents knew what it meant, like their, their main goal in life, especially when they were younger, was to survive. But we had the benefit of, of their sacrifice. And uh, we didn't have to s struggle like that to make ends meet. So we had more time on our hands to for thinking and recreation. And so, you know. Uh, like Ray Bowman and his friends. Yeah, there you go. And uh, so, you know, then the Beatles came out and then all the music from England. And I was sincerely searching for meaning in life. I, I just didn't know what, I wanted to know what life was about. Obviously, I did not have a, a, a an encounter at the time. Not that others didn't, but I did not have any encounter with God. So he was not real to me. It was just something that was forced down my throat, something that, you know, you, you just endured like, you know, and I, I grew up on a farm, so I was used to hard work and that was all good for me. But, you know, so the Beatles, the music came out and for all of us young kids that were searching for meaning, we began to experiment with drugs. Um, uh, at least in my group, it was truly, um, a lot of it was a search for meaning in life. You know, and I, I, I meant, I know even like, I remember having these discussions with my dad out in the farm. You know, I'd be like, dad, you know, like there has to be, what's the meaning of life, you know? And he'd be like, <laughs> I'm not saying farmers can't be philosophers, but he was like, he goes, well, what do you mean? He goes, you get up in the morning and you watch the sunrise and, and you work and, 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 you, and you, know, you, you make a living and, and Saturday night you watch Lawrence Welk and, um, you know, and then eventually you die. And I'm like, what? I said, is that, is that it? And I remember I was really sincerely hungry for, for, for like what there has to be more in life than just existing. So, I, you know, the drugs... And the music opened me up into spiritualism. 
uh, spiritism, Eastern religions, you know, different philosophies. And of course, you know, when you're 16 and 19 years old, you know, you're, you're especially if you, if you lean that way, then you have all these great debates with your friends and you're reading different philosophers and theologians and debating like what, what's right. And I just decided that there was no God and I became an atheist and um, began to go down the road that I never thought I would. Like, you know, you're always back in those days when you were in, in health class, you know, you'd be a bunch of scared little kids and this big ex, you know, or former uh, professional football players is your teacher and he's looming over you saying, you know, one puff of a marijuana cigarette and you'll be a heroin addict. And, you know, we, wow. But he ended up being right. It was a gateway drug, you know, and it led to LSD. It led to uh, enormous amounts of LSD and organic mescaline and just getting more and more um, confused and more and more lost. And eventually after three years, I, I'm on the floor in some shack mainlining heroin because I, I, I'd gotten arrested a couple times for drugs and I, I couldn't seem to find any meaning in life. And I became very suicidal. I began to think the answer to life is death. And that became my uh, philosophy. But I, I, I did when I was in jail for the second time, uh, my bunk was the only one with a gospel according to John on it. And I began to read John with all earnestness. And it, it really um, opened me up to, to Jesus again. And then when I was um, got out of jail, I'm home in Vineland, New Jersey, which also, by the way, New Jersey is known as God's favorite state, but that's a whole separate revelation I have to teach you about later. You know, I, the, I, ran, I, I was uh, uh, walking down the street. I ran into these friends. I used to do drugs with them. And, led, and, and the leader of this group was this famous, notorious drug addict hippie who is now carrying a big Bible under his arm, telling everybody he met about Jesus. And he didn't have, like, a Bible Bible. Like, I mean, this guy was, like, six foot something. And he had blonde hair down to his butt, right? And he's walking around with a Bible, like, this family Bibles that, you know, that write deaths and weddings. And, you know, like, they're like, they're enormous. It's like bigger than an encyclopedia, right? So he's walking up and down the street with this family Bible under his arm. The thing had to weigh like 50 pounds or something. And he's just preaching to everybody he met. And, and I ran into them and they said, hey, Stevie, we're saved. And I said, oh, so am I. Because I thought, well, you know, I, 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 I do drugs. I hate the police. And, and um, you know, Jesus is cool, so I guess I'm a Christian. You know, I know it sounds really pathetic now, but in, in my mental state, that, like, made total sense to me. Um, I don't hate the police anymore. I'm very thankful we have police to protect us, even though I know in some cities that's not the case. But anyhow, so I was still suffering from severe depression. Uh, I'm sure drugs did a lot to add to that, and some of the junk that I've been involved in, like witchcraft and Eastern mysticism, just opened me up to a whole realm of demonic activity that also was, in, you know, contributing to my desire to die. And um, I remember one night I was in my room and um, I, I wasn't even high that night. And I was staring at my Jimi Hendrix poster and everything was kind of weird. And I just kept hearing things in my head. And I, I said, this is it, I'm ending this. And I, I hopped in my dad's car and I went zooming down the street and I was 
trying to decide if I was going to run into a pole or overdose on heroin or something. And, but you know, Brilla, the, the, the best thing I can say, the best way to say it is like another, another presence came in the, in the vehicle and it was God's presence. I didn't understand it or know it at the time, but God came in the car and all I could hear in my mind were the words that that friend, that tall guy with the, with the, the blonde hair down on his butt with the big Bible. Uh, I ran into him once in the street by myself. And uh, he just said, hey, hey, Stevie, Jesus loves you. Stop over anytime. And that's all he said that one night. And bro, that's all I could hear over and over in my mind. Jesus loves you. Stop over anytime. So Jesus loves you. So, so this, this, it was the presence of God. And so I ended up driving to his house late at night. Well, pretty late, you know, and here that he was supposed to be, he was supposed to be out that night. And that afternoon when he was praying, he felt like Jesus told him to stay home. So he didn't know better. You know, back then you felt Jesus told you something, you do it, you know, <laughs> what a radical idea. So he went, <laughs> that was sarcasm in case you missed it. So he, waited you know nothing happened nothing happened he was reading his bible praying and you know five o'clock six o'clock seven o'clock he thought man i guess i don't know maybe i didn't hear jesus after all and then i don't know what time i stopped by nine or ten he, you know he hears this you know knock on the door and it's me and he goes oh now i know why jesus told me to stay home and so he he of course attempted to share the gospel with me but he was already at that early stage in his Christian life. I mean, he gave me his testimony, which is a great testimony. I won't, I wish I could, maybe some other time I could tell you his testimony. Um, he's in heaven now, so he can't tell you unless you have some kind of connection with the hotline or something. Not so, he, Okay. <laughs> so, but he's using like language, like, well, I got saved and I'm not exaggerating. When he said that, I thought, well, when you fall off a boat, they throw you a lifesaver, you know? I mean, I, I just, but and then he said, oh man, I'm, I'm going to this church. And he goes, and uh, people get saved there and people get healed. And that was intriguing. And he said, and they, and they do this thing where they, they speak in tongues. And I'm like, what is that? And he said, well, the Holy Spirit comes on people. And they, and so I don't know what he said. I was like, totally intrigued. But Needless to say, I did not commit suicide that night. And it really stopped me in my tracks and got me thinking and thinking. So um, that Wednesday night, I went to this little Assemblies of God church in Vineland, New Jersey, God's favorite state, and walked in. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm raised Italian Catholic. And back when I went to Mass, everything was in Latin on top of it. So, you know, the only part that, that I was in English is when the priest would give the homily and he would usually read from a gospel. And, um, and I have to, I have to tell you, um, looking back, I always remember that was my favorite. The only part of mass I liked is they'd read the gospel, a story about Jesus. And I always remember like I'd get this warm feeling. So that's something, huh? So anyhow, I, I don't know what to expect. I've never been to anything but the Catholic church. And I walked in, and it, it's already looks very different, you know, because it's it, it just old fashioned Protestant church with the cathedral ceilings and not the Catholic churches didn't have that. But Catholic churches were much higher. We had a lot of stained glass windows. And here they were just like 
It's very different looking. And I sat up front. That was the next mistake I made. I wanted to see the show, right? So I'm waiting for this thing to happen. And then it starts. And Burla, I was freaked out. I mean, I had been scared in my life. I had been in prison. I was in prison with scary people, but I was more scared in this service than anything because they had people come out, came out in suits and ties, and they had an orchestra. And they had, I mean, an orchestra. So they had a violin player, a, a French horn player, a trombone, a trumpet, some old lady banging on the piano. And I'm like, what is this? You know, I'm, I'm like used to listening to like the Grateful Dead or, or you know, Procol Harum or, or, you know, Gracie Slick. And I'm like, what is this? And that went on. And that alone was like almost an hour. And then the guy gets up to speak. So this, the whole service was about two hours. I am really freaked out. I'm in the front. I was too, too embarrassed to get up and walk out because then everybody would be looking at me, you know? So, and of course, everybody was looking at me because I'm this long-haired hippie, you know, and the church is just full of nice old people dressed up. Right? So, so I make, am I boring you? Should I, am I talking too much? I love this. This is, this is wonderful. Oh, okay. I don't want to like ruin your show. So <laughs> I, I make, I make a beeline out and I run into a human being that looked like a walking refrigerator, this huge man. I, I, I mean, not fat, just huge. Like the Hulk, you know, he wasn't tall as the Hulk, but he was big everywhere. And, he had a crew cut, which already meant he's a bad guy. I mean, I hated anybody with crew cuts, you know, because they were the bad guys. And he's got tears in his eyes. And Burla, this is, you know, this never happened to me in my life. This man hugs me. I, no man had ever hugged me in my whole life, including my father. This man hugged me. I'm like, oh, man, this is, ah. And he's crying. And he said, I'm so glad that you came to hear about my Jesus. And I'm like freaked out. And so as soon as he let me go, I, I took, I, I, I left. I mean, I, I ran out of there like this terrified me. But, but as crazy as I thought it was, I felt something later when I calmed down. And I, I'm, I ended up back at this church, January 10th, 1971, this Chestnut Assembly of God. And at the end of the service, the pastor, Harry Snook, a wonderful, wonderful man of God, gave an altar call and I made my way up. And, you know, this was a different kind of altar than the Catholic Church. This was a, a um, you know, just a little altar where people could kneel at, you know. And on the other side of the altar, you'd have counselors that would kneel down and try to help you. And I kneeled down and I'm like, my counselor was the guy that I, I hated. He's my worst enemy, Mike Jaffe. He was a Jewish drug addict. I was an Italian drug addict. He was a Jewish drug addict, except now he's not a drug addict. He's at this church. And he, he looks at me and he goes, hey, man, how you doing? <laughs> I, said, I, said, I said, not so good. I said, um, I said, Jesus can't save me. And he goes, <laughs> he's a brand new Christian. He goes, what? What do you mean? And I said, well, I lived in this commune in Denver, Colorado, and there was a witch there. And she put a curse on me and I said, Jesus can't save me. So he didn't know anything to tell me. He didn't know, he's brand new. He, he doesn't know anything about the power of God or, or, this, or, or, you know, that the power of Christ is greater. I mean, he knew it, but he didn't know what to tell me. So he did what everybody did back then. 
He said, look, he goes, here's my Bible. Pray and flip it open and God will speak to you. So it worked I, for Augustine. Yeah, it worked for him. And, and it, thankfully it worked for me because <laughs> I prayed, I flipped it open and it opened up to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Now he's Jewish. He's been bar mitzvahed. He's, been, he's thinking, oh no, that's really bad. That's, a, that's really bad. Because, you know, those old, those the first five books of Moses, there are a lot of places where God is just, you know, laying, laying, laying the, Jew, the Israelites out. So, but I open up to chapter 30 and the first words I'll see that I saw in verses one or two, it said, this day I've given you the blessing and the curse. And it said, if, basically, if you follow me, I'll remove the curse. I went, Mike, look at this, you know? And, and so I said, Jesus can save me. So I prayed and accepted Christ in my heart that day. And um, I didn't have any feelings. It was totally, I was totally numb which was a disappointment because I wanted to feel like something happened. But, you know, that was great for me because uh, it got me in the word, man. It just got me in the word. And, and what was really beautiful is um, I was, had obviously a lot of mental, emotional damage from my uh, uh, hippie drug addict lifestyle. And my friends would come to the house every day and drag me out. I would hide under the bed. I didn't want to be bothered. And my mom would let them in. They'd come up and knock on my door and come and get me. But, you know, we got in the Word, we prayed together every day, read the Word, studied together. And um, little by little, I got, I got healed and got set free from, uh, instantly set free from drug, drug use and drug abuse. And um, a lot of us did instant, instant, uh, instant deliverance from, from drugs. And then it was, like, um, it was like our own teen challenge program, except it was in our church, because we were there every day in the Word in prayer and then we'd go uptown and tell our friends about Jesus and, and Berla during the Jesus, what's known in the Time magazine called the Jesus movement. Um, the Holy Spirit was moving in such a way. This was a true revival, not like two weeks at some church or a month. I mean, this went on for years and you could walk downtown and you could just about say boo and somebody would get, would receive Christ in her heart. And that, that I was like the fifth hippie fourth or fifth hippie in town to get saved at, at this church. And um, by the end of the summer, I think over a thousand decisions for Christ had been made. And there were hundreds of us hippies coming every wow. Sunday morning, every Wednesday night, every Sunday night, we'd be fighting for the front pew. And uh, we had a very amazing pastor who knew how to help us. And uh, so anyhow, that's, that's sorry. That's a little bit of my story. I <laughs> got that is wonderful. I, I love hearing that. And every time I have someone on, when I talk to my friends, when I talk to Pam's grandpa, I've, I've just been very happy to hear people's story of, of their salvation. You know, it's always blesses me to hear it. And, and like I said, I, when you're a little kid, you don't know any of that. You, I didn't, I didn't know about all of that. You know, I, I probably didn't tell you all that either. <laughs> oh man. Would you mind if, um, like I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link to your longer conversation. Please do. Please do. And, and link them to our, our website and Facebook page so people can see what, what we're doing. Connect I just want to add this. Like I felt from the moment I got saved, I was called into the ministry. And that man, that big refrigerator man I told you about, mm -hmm. he ended up being one of our mentors. And he spent hours with me, helping me through my depression, helping me learn the word of God 
because he had been an alcoholic and Jesus set him free. So, um, and then I got a lot of training at my home church, went to the county college and went off to Bible college. And then the next eight years I spent as a or nine years, I spent as a college uh, campus pastor and campus ministry. So I used to have to debate or not debate, but talk to smart guys like you. And fortunately it was doing, I, I was not, I'm not as smart as you, but, but the power of God would show up because the Holy Spirit was just being poured out throughout the country. And we had hundreds and hundreds of students get saved. It was amazing. So, and then we spent time discipling them the way we were disciple. That's awesome. I, I sometimes it must've been a great time to be alive. The, the legacy, yeah. a, a lot of the, the way that that has filtered down to my generation was through the music. Yeah. If if you don't mind, I, I sent you um, some Spurgeon quotes just to uh, try to get your. I, these are these are several quotes that when I ran across them, they made me think of you uh, directly. So this is this is the first one that I sent you. Uh, it says, "How often have I said that prayer is the breathing in of the air of heaven, and praise is the breathing of it out again? Prayer and praise make up the best life of the Christian." And he's not yet thoroughly in spiritual health who is all for prayer and not all for praise, but he is the really healthy Christian who has had these two things rightly balanced. So prayer and praise. Oh. And, and um, those were two things. You wow. Know. That's a great, that's a great quote. Yeah. He has that idea that. of balance in there. Um, and you know, one of the I things that I remember that. from being a kid under your ministry was uh, uh, Wednesday night intercessory prayer group. I'm pretty sure it was on Wednesdays with uh Sheriff, uh, Keith Sheriff, was that his name? Yeah, Keith and Barb, sure. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't be naming people like that. I don't know, I'd, I'd love to reach uh, out to him too, have a conversation. I just, I just re reconnected with them, they're, they're great. You need to do that, yeah. Um, I, I know that, that you and, and him, you guys, um, you guys, uh, really taught us to pray. You taught us that God is listening to us, and that is, you know, people talk about prayer, but it's as if we don't really believe he's listening. I was actually recently convicted of that. There's been a thing that I was wanting. It's not a spiritual thing. It's just, it's just a mundane uh, issue. And it's something I had been going back and forth over feeling like, you know, maybe I'm being too materialistic, wanting this thing. I told my wife, I feel actually pretty strongly convicted that I was not praying. I, I mean, all of this trying to figure out in my head, I'm too used to trying to figure it out for myself and not used enough to, taking it to God, but you guys, you guys really uh, emphasized um, that God was really listening to us on prayer. And then on, on praise, I, I'm telling you to this day, my, my kids, when we're on the way to church, when we're in the car, sometimes uh, I'll put on the uh, Keith Green scripture song medley. Uh, and, wow. uh, and when it comes to um, spring up, oh, well, uh, it takes me back to being in church I don't know how it happened. I don't know when it happened, but um, you encouraged us to, um, you know, when it says spring up, oh, well, to, to jump that, that um, <laughs> is worse. So we, you encouraged us to jump. And, and at some point, someone must have said, I'm going to jump higher than anyone else. And I'm going to do it by jumping off of a chair. And so we used to start saying, as soon as you'd start playing that song, we'd hear the, we'd hear the chords coming up. Like, oh, it's that one. We're going to sing that song again. And then we would get up on our chairs as soon as the, that chorus would come, spring up, oh, well, within my soul. And we'd jump off of our chairs. And, uh, and I swear you were, 
you were encouraging it. You would tell us, you would tell us that, that they said downstairs in, in the adult worship service that we were being too loud. <laughs> and you would say it, I think, with this, it's a challenge, you know, and, and we were all <laughs> too willing to take you up on that challenge. So, uh, you know, are, are we going to be quiet when we praise God? No way. <laughs> no way. You know, and uh, I remember this now. I forgot about that. Oh, my gosh. I well, worship was a big part of our ministry then, if you remember. Um, we, we, would, we would do fun kids songs, but then we get right into adult worship songs. And kids were experienced in the presence of God. I remember a, a lot of you kids with your arms and hands in the air worshiping. And I remember the Holy Spirit visiting and kids falling over because the presence of God was so strong on them. Uh, yeah, remember we get around circles and pray. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I think if you know if there's a some stodgy old guy coming up, you know, if, I could see, I could imagine, you know, being the. I I probably have been at that point uh, in my life, you know, where I'm the stodgy old guy saying that's not how you worship. They're just playing. They're just, they're you're not teaching them to worship. You're just teaching them to play. But when when you get a child who loves God uh, and who is worshiping him. Uh, Jesus said, don't hinder them, right? What, what would it look like for a child to glorify God and enjoy him, right? Like the Westminster Confession says, chief end yep. of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And if that doesn't look like play, I don't know what it would look like. So Come on. That's, that's, I agree. Totally agree. I, I uh, and and to this day, yeah, I'm. I think uh, at the end of this um, podcast, when I when I put it out, I'm gonna attach that song, that scripture song medley, <laughs> so people can hear it. Yeah, that that's how a lot of the yeah. Jesus. Everybody stand. Everybody that listens to it should stand on their chairs, <laughs> jump as high as they can. <laughs> Absolutely, I recommend it. This one reminded me of you because of your um, your your missions work where Spurgeon said, you cannot live in a district without being responsible to God for doing something towards the bettering of the people among whom you reside. Can you endure it then that your neighbors should sink into hell? Do not your hearts long for their salvation? Is it not an awful thing that a soul should perish with the gospel so near? And yet many of you are being lost with the gospel ringing in your ears. I, I, I'll say Keith Green again. When I when I read that, another thing it reminded me of was his song "Asleep in the Light." Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah, the world is sleeping in the dark, and the church just can't fight because we're asleep in the light. Yeah, and uh, you you've done a lot of missions work. I, I'm sure you that you. Feel yeah, but it's you know what? It starts right where you live. You know, sharing Christ with your friends, your neighbors, your family. Yeah, I I think that's a great quote. Um, should I go on to the next one? Yeah. It's another, another mission. Well, you know, wait, hold on to that. Okay. You know, okay. When, we, when we went into missions, at first I was doing projects in Africa and India, short-term projects. But long story, how God works, short, I ended up in Austria and ministering to, to young people, which I never thought would happen in a million years. The first group was just a bunch of kids that were, turned off to God because of they were church kids, but just not really excited. And God did some wonderful things there. But then this door opened up in a, in a nearby village 
to non-believing kids and their their big thing because the drinking age is a lot younger in austria their big thing was thursday through sunday nights it would pack out the bars i mean just pack out and get screaming drunk and through a number of events god directed us to these bars and we ended up um, with a bar ministry where we're sharing christ in bars with all these angry kids who were really hungry for God, but they've been so turned off by religion because it's a state religion there to get shoved down their throats. And, uh, you know, you're at a table with these young people and, and they say, why are you here? And you'll say, well, we're here to tell people that, that Jesus loves them. And they're like, what? You're kidding me. Why would you do that? Do you want to, do you want to know? And then you give them their testimony and um, everything happened in the bars. We had Bible studies in bars, kids saved in bars, healed in bars, kids manifesting demonically in bars. We started a bar church and uh, it, it, was, it was amazing. So that was kind of like reaching our neighbors where they were at. <laughs> so I think that's something that Jesus would have done, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I hope I, I didn't upset you. I know that you're a, a Spurgeon cigar smoker, but... Um, <laughs> In Austria, you have to be a, a Jesus beer drinker, you know. <laughs> I, I spent some time um, with uh, my grandpa. I lived with my grandpa for a while. And he is, he is of the sort of, um, you know, old Pentecostal um, yeah. variety. And, and he will talk about alcohol. But uh, no, I, I came around on that after a while. Um, well, I'm not, hey, I'm not knocking anybody that does or doesn't. It's just all I can say is Jesus did not make grape juice at that wedding so no yeah not offensive to me at all i i, I was i was uh, looking at something else and and uh got distracted for a minute there no no problem not offensive at all i i enjoy whiskey i enjoy beer and uh, uh you can't you can't say that online you're gonna <laughs> offend somebody yeah you know <laughs> at least as much as saying that i intend to smoke a cigar to the glory of god right <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Lord help I, us. At one point, I'm probably going to try to do uh, an episode talking about his cigar controversy, just because a couple of people have asked me about it. But he believed it was a, an an issue of of Christian freedom, and he saved his um, probably a, a lot of his ire for the kind of people who would s smoke a cigar while not actually believing that it's okay. So there was just a story uh, one time of, of him going up to a group of young men who were all smoking a cigar. And he said something to them like, um, I can't believe you guys are smoking so early in the morning. And they all like, oh, oh, and they started putting out their cigars. And as soon as they had all put out their cigars, he got one out and lit it up. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't need to say anything bad. You're, you're, if your own conscience is is uh, telling you that it's wrong to do it, then don't do it. But if your conscience doesn't tell you it's wrong, you know, there's already 10 commandments. You don't need to make an 11th and a 12th and bind them on other people. So, yeah. That <laughs> well, was, you know, in a lot of churches, that is the 11th commandment. Yeah, I don't <laughs> smoke, drink, or chew, or run with girls who do. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's a different version of it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, that's, that's a whole nother discussion, but, yeah. but we, we fit in with the culture where we were and just, it was wonderful.
it was a really great experience. So, <laughs> yeah, any more quotes for me? We're running out of time. I think we're running out of time. Let, let me give you one more because this, again, this was uh, this, this made me think of you. Um, and I'll, I'll explain it in a minute. Uh, so this says, the man who never reads will never be read. He who never quotes will never be quoted. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. Brethren, <laughs> what, is the true, uh, what is true of ministers is true of all people. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritanic writers and expositions of the Bible. We are quite persuaded that the very best way for you to be spending your leisure is either to be reading or praying. You may get much instruction from books, which afterwards you may use as a true weapon in your Lord and Master's service. Paul cries, brings the, bring the books, join in the cry. Um, so another, yeah. another memory from uh, being uh, a little kid in your ministry was, was that you read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to us. I did? Yes. Man, I must. Yeah, you read good, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to us, and then we watched the BBC film. Um, oh yeah, sure. That, that was a good and that was yeah, that was that was a great time. And and uh, again, just being you know children, I've read that with my children. I, I read them not the whole series, but I read them my favorite books in the series, and and told them they are free to read the rest on their own. My daughter wow. just finished the last battle. Oh, so, that's a great one. Yeah, wow. yeah, love it. God, girl, I. You're making me feel really good about myself tonight. Thank you. I didn't know I did all these good things. <laughs> so you really you you set us you set us on a path, and and you know it's not not every kid is going to follow the path. I've sure um, taken my own twists and turns, but what you gave us was uh, sort of an anchor. It was something that I could look back to and say that. Uh, I made a commitment when I was a little kid, and I was just a little kid, but the commitment was real, and so it. It was just something that I could look back to later in life when I had sort of lost my way. And I really wanted to thank you for that. That, that was uh, one of my main reasons for reaching out to you. Thanks, bro. This means so, so much to me. I can't tell you how, how touched I am. Thank you so much. <laughs> wow. I, I have really enjoyed this conversation. Well, we're just getting warmed up. I'm ready for it now. Now we're really ready to talk for an hour. <laughs> I'll have to come back with uh, with more quotes. Well, I, I would like. I hope not that I. This is almost as rude as inviting myself to dinner, but uh, I'd like to come back and have talk some more. Absolutely. This is so great to see you again. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you. That was Steve Spomer. I'm looking forward to more conversations with him in the future, especially regarding Spurgeon's attitude towards discipleship and God's special favor, if indeed he has any, towards the state of New Jersey. I want to hear more about the guy with long blonde hair and a big Bible. We could talk about Come Ye Children, Spurgeon's book for parents and teachers on the Christian training of children. You can email me with questions or comments at cigarswithspurgeon at gmail.com. My Twitter handle is at Cigars with CHS. Reach out to me if you want the sources for the Spurgeon quotes I read. Steve's awesome testimony can be found on YouTube, and I'll link it in the show notes. You can find details about the missions work Steve does and how to donate 
by visiting his website or the Connect the World Facebook page. And here's our benediction, read by Steve Espalmer. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen. This is a day your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, that your joy may be full. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Clap your hands, all you people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Clap your hands, all you people, shout unto God with a voice of praise. Hosanna, Hosanna, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Praise Him, praise Him, shout unto God with a voice of praise. Clap your hands, all you people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Clap your hands, all you people, shout unto God with a voice of praise. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Shouting the guy with a voice of praise. I got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets those captives free. I got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up a whole well within my soul. Spring up a whole well and make me whole. Spring up a whole well. And give to me that life abundantly. This is a day, this 